Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Hey, friends, we're back. Super excited to be here. Thank you for joining me on the journey. Super grateful for all you guys and gals, of course. Um, we got a really interesting guest today, Eric Godsey. He specializes in cognitive psychology, psychedelic science. We're going to get into some really cool, interesting stuff. If you don't know who Eric Godsey is, he works at On It alongside of Aubrey Marcus, who is super powerful in this industry. And Aubrey Marcus is also connected to Joe Rogan. So the world is becoming smaller, a lot of amazing minds connecting. And I'm just so grateful to be able to bring that knowledge to you guys and you know create that value for you. So if you haven't subscribed already, you're going to want to, guys. It's, going to, it's super important. Go ahead and please hit that subscribe button. It's free. And then at the end of the episode, leave a review, leave a five stars, and, let's, and, and let me know how, what you think because this, this is about you. This is about bringing you value, value every single day. And I'm just so grateful to be able to do this and to share this space with you. So really excited. Also, I'm going to start reading five-star reviews on the air. So if you want to get your five-star review written out, or sorry, if you want to get your five-star review read out by me, I will do it and um, I'll pick from the latest ones and then I'll read it out. So make it good, make it interesting, and yours will be picked. So really excited for this episode, everybody. Just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll dive right into it. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the makeover master. If you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect, then head over to makeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everyone deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest has been on a quest to embrace the psychoanalytic perspective of human nature and is on a mission to help people heal themselves. He's a student of life specializing in cognitive psychology, science, and psychedelics. He has been on quite the journey and not only has had to overcome adversity in his own life, but has had to witness it in his family's life, specifically with depression. He is employed with one of the top human performance companies on the planet, works on the front lines with some of the most innovative minds in the industry, such as Aubrey Marcus and Kyle Kingsbury. I'm really excited to have him on. He's really got some amazing insight. And I know you guys will learn a ton from this. So, Eric Godsey, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me on, brother. I think that's the first time I've ever heard a bio of myself read out loud, and it's a very interesting feeling. But I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, man, I like it. It's um, I say it to other people. I treat it like, you know, when you're at like a sports game, right? I know you're a basketball mm-hmm. guy. I like to try and pump the other person up and get that, get the blood flowing, get everybody yeah. rocking. So, yeah, man, I, I like to do it that way. And that way it keeps me on my toes as well. So. Beautiful. Um, Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. And I'm excited to dive in. And there's so many things I want to get into. But first, maybe just take us back, fill in the gaps. Tell us a little bit about your story growing up and, you know, kind of piece together kind of where you got to where you are today. For sure. So the long version of that story would take 28 years, but I'll keep <laughs> it to the short, short, <laughs> short version. So I had a pretty easy childhood or 
life came to me pretty easily and a couple of things happened and the way that I interpreted having an easy life was to feel guilty and guilt is probably a big part of something that I've worked on personally because you know I witnessed people in my family have depression and deal with other psychological hurdles and I, I was easily liked I was good at sports school was easy and there was this kind of this sense of guilt like why is it so easy for me and how can I help you know I got into basketball at first I was garbage but I got pretty good pretty quickly and then I became obsessed and I think I probably have to thank Pokemon for this but at a pretty young age I learned to love grinding and just like doing a thing over and over and over and over and so once I got good enough at basketball to see that girls liked me for it, I fucking started training like a madman. And I got pretty good. And then I, I fractured my tailbone when I was a sophomore in high school. And then I tore my rotator cuff on my shooting arm when I was a junior. And then my basketball dreams died. And then I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm sure I fell into a depression because once I got surgery on my shoulder, I was 18 and I lived alone and there's a lot of reasons that that played out, but I was living alone. I was a senior in high school. I got surgery on my shoulder and the doctor just gave me a whole bunch of oxycodone and I was just not conscious at all. And I, I got completely addicted to painkillers and I gained like 40 pounds of fat over the course of probably six months. And I was so removed from the world that I didn't even do rehab like I'm just now kind of fixing my shoulder and it's been it's 10 years later but I eventually saw how fat I was getting and I started to kind of get in the gym turn my life around once college started and then I picked up this new obsession where I wanted to be like a world famous philosopher and I was going to write the most amazing treaty like Wittgenstein and I was going to change the world and then I did mushrooms a couple of times and I saw that I'm an idiot and it completely rocked my world again, kind of in the same way that tearing my rotator cuff killed my first dream, which was to be like an NBA player, because I was dumb enough to think that that could be a thing. But I, I just don't have the genes for that type of life. At best, I would be playing on the bench on some Euro league, getting paid like 20K a year. But I didn't <laughs> go down that road. But then like the new dream that I picked up is I wanted to be this amazing philosopher. And then I started studying some books and then I started doing psychedelics and I just realized oh this is just an ego game that the Eric thing is making up because he's afraid to date women or he's he's afraid to be close to other humans so he's going to stay in his mind and write books and hide and slowly after that I started connecting with people started to cultivate friendships and relationships and dating and then that opened up my heart and then I slowly found my way here to on it and still doing the work yeah, it's it's crazy how with sports, because I was the same, I was a hockey player, and you have this vision, and you don't really care about anything else, and then when it, when you, it ends, you're like, oh, fuck, what yeah. a, you know, and, and you don't really know, because you don't really, you kind of go all in with that thing, right? I mean, I, you know, and, and when it's over, you're like, now what? And a lot of times, other people, it feels like other people are ahead of you, because they've gone and done other things, like... For me, I didn't go to school or anything. I was kind of betting on playing pro. And once that ended, I was like, oh, shit, got to go and figure things out. But yeah. it's good to go through that, too, because it really makes you realize that there's so many other opportunities out there. And, I mean, in order to go through that initial failure, 
I mean, that's a lot of times it opens up so many doors. Absolutely. And a thing that I think might, might be the most important part of going through true, true adversity is it breaks your map of reality and then you have to build a new one. And that in-between space where the previous map was broken, which is like your first dream is I'm going to be a hockey player. And then once life punches you in the face hard enough where you realize, oh, I can't do that. You actually have to change the way you see the world. And what's beautiful about that is it actually shows you that there is a thing in you that can change the way you see the world. And so having true adversity is actually a really great gift if it doesn't kill you. Because truly, like if the adversity is too big, you can die. And like that is a part of the game that we're in. But if it doesn't kill you, you then realize that there's a thing inside of you that can make a whole new world, like a whole new way of looking at the world. And I think that's what initiation rituals were doing in tribal cultures in a structured way, you know, because women have a built-in initiation ritual and it's to give birth. And it's a completely life-altering experience. Men don't have a biological imperative initiation ritual. So most cultures had a, you know, like a tribal program, quote unquote, where once the boy reached a certain age, and it was around the time where our sports dreams die, it's between like 14 and 18, they purposefully put them through something that is world shattering, but then they get to transform from boys to men. So interesting. Do you think that everybody has to go through some sort of doesn't, I don't know, trauma or some like serious adversity to learn the lesson? Or do you think, because obviously we want to help people avoid that, right? To learn things and to be able to grow without going through pain. You know, sometimes so it takes that's a good. Yeah. I think that's something that we fundamentally got wrong in the nineties yeah. where we don't want our children to go through adversity. And I say, no, I think you want to prepare your child to be able to deal with adversity because the truth of our situation seems to be you will experience adversity no matter what. Like your parents are going to die. Your best friend is going to get sick and die one day. Your dog or your child might die. Like you will face adversity. And so you don't want to try to create an environment where you don't. You want to try to cultivate people who can. And so I think that it is a mistake, just a waste of your energy to try to create an environment where adversity doesn't happen. I think what you can do is to try to cultivate the thing inside of every person that you meet or that you teach or that you love or that you raise that they can face adversity. And the deeper, or to answer the other part of the question, I think there is no one who's going to get through childhood and not have trauma. And I think there are different degrees to trauma, but some Objectively, as a child, if you're four and you haven't had anything horrible, quote unquote, happen to you, your experiential scale of intensity, your 10 might be, and I'm going to use a personal example, like your 10 might be dad promised to go to an amusement park and you and your sister woke up early when you guys were six and seven and he said he wanted to sleep and so you're not going. And to because I haven't been molested or had or watched someone murdered in front of me, that feels like a 10 to me. And psychologically, I'm going to develop coping patterns around that where I don't trust men. And then I'm going to have to work through that, blah, blah, blah. But then there are people who like, they might witness somebody be murdered in front of them. And that's their 10. But all of us, all of us are going to have trauma 
that we develop coping patterns too that as adults we're going to have to become aware of and work through if it's causing bad patterns in our life. Man, I love that analogy thinking about it like that because you only know what you know. One thing could seem so bad to you, but then to another kid their bad is so different than what yours is. And yeah, it's it's sure. it's a crazy perspective that way, man. It's super interesting. What everyone experiences a 10 at some point. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. Well, that's the thing too. It's like, in even doing what, you know, we're doing, like obviously out to inspire and make change and help people. And obviously I love to allow people to not go through as much pain, obviously, in order to figure it out, like their passion. But what is your thought on that? Like when you're us, like we're adults now, and is there a way for somebody to find their passion and their true, your mission. And I want to get into mission and all that next yeah. without having to hit rock bottom and be it by being inspired by others. Or do you yeah. think people at our, you know, our age, I'm not sure how old you are, but get that. Okay. Yeah. I'm 35. So same, same sort of thing. For sure. So, cause I know I did, you know, I lost a brother to suicide, my dad to cancer all within 18 months. Yeah. I was drugs, alcohol. I had to hit that part. I had to hit yeah. that. Holy fuck. You know? And yeah. I hope that other people don't, but do you think that people do uh, in order to realize that? I position the question differently. And I think the best that we can do is to honestly and authentically and clearly share our rock bottom moment and share it as a story. And for the people who are ready to learn, they will learn from it. But most people, and this is one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn, you cannot make anyone else change. The best that you can do is show up in a way where some people who know you are inspired to ask how. And then those people you share the story with. And like, I am going to destroy myself if I try to hold the question of how can I keep other people from hitting rock bottom? But what I think I can do that kind of gives all of my rock bottoms grace is to have the intention of every hard thing that I go through, I'm going to write a story about it, or I'm going to record a podcast about it, or I'm going to draw a picture about it. Like whatever my creative thing is, I'm going to use my creative art to turn whatever my experience is into something that I can share with other people. And if it helps four people, if it helps one person who's ready, then I have alchemized my tragedy into someone else's, you know, into their medicine. I love the way you explain this stuff, man, because I've listened to you, you speak before within different talks and different things. And you have a very good way of explaining a very complicated thing. Thank you, man. <laughs> you know, Thank and you. It, yeah. it, it's, it's, you talk about cognitive psychology, all this kind of stuff. It's very hard to understand for the average person, some of these things, and the, depending on how far you want to go down. And I like the way you explain it is good. So I appreciate it because a lot of people are interested in looking at things differently, but it's confusing stuff when you kind of go down that rabbit hole, you know? For sure. And the joke that I make is that I'm a really smart, dumb person. And so I have to work with an idea until it's easy for me to understand because I can't hold a lot of things at one time, actually. And so I think it actually makes me a more effective, quote unquote, teacher is that because I can't hold a bunch of things at one time, it's easier for me to explain things because I'm not it's kind of a joke, but I'm a smart, stupid person. And again, that's kind of a joke. But the other thing is that a lot of people, if their ego is invested in the fact that they're smart, and my ego is invested in me being effective, I sure have an ego. And 
I'm trying to tame it. But if someone's ego is I'm smart, they start to play an unconscious game where they make things more complicated than they need to be because that's how they have power. But my ego game is I want to be effective. So I'm trying to be as clear and simple as I can be. And then there's that Einstein quote, you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it. Yeah, it's so true. And sometimes you think you know it, but you can't explain it. You know, That's why I love talking so much, man. <laughs> yeah. Because it'll expose your shit if you don't know it, if you're trying to explain it to someone. I find it easier expressing myself like this than writing, man. Like sure. I find it tough to write stuff. Sometimes I'm thinking all this shit and I, I can't write it. I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't keep up with my thoughts. And yeah. I find it challenging. So, I mean, yeah. is that normal or most people, like, is it the other way around? No, for sure that's normal. <laughs> if you read any book by any famous writer on writing, they're all like, it's fucking terrible. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. um, it for sure is not easy. But, you know, it comes down to we get addicted to the things that give us flow state. And, like, I found flow writing early on. And so, you know, I will bend to the suffering that will come from writing. But I also like talking. I actually... I make a lot of new connections. I have a lot of new ideas through talking with other people. And that's why I have a podcast. Like it's so, it's such a good way to learn. But I also find that any idea that I find myself talking about over and over again, I tend to like to write those ideas out because it helps me understand it. But also, especially as a podcaster, I'm sure that you sense this. There are times when you're saying something that you can feel like, fuck, I didn't quite get to what I was trying to say. If I feel that way over and over about an idea that I keep bringing up, that to me is a sign, okay, I have to write about this. Like I have to find what part of this am I not getting every time I try to say it. It's so true, man. I always, and then after you're like, man, I could have said that better. I was just on a, a show the other day and I was trying to explain my story, but like it was going, I was thinking too fast and I wasn't kind of, and after I'm like, man, I could have said it better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And For sure. I know, I guess it's a journey too, and getting better at explaining your story, explaining things, you know, and absolutely. Um, and it's your whole life. man. And the more conversations you have, that's why I love this man is because podcasting has been amazing because you connect with people and you have conversations, high level conversations about things you wouldn't normally talk about. And for me, anyways, I get, I'm connecting with so many different people and yeah. it's just I learn from it. I'm so grateful to learn from it because I'm always taking in things and listening and it's, and then at the same time, being able to inspire people that are listening as well. It's, it's so powerful. And I mean, I feel like it's like only the beginning of this kind of era, you know? Absolutely. I will do it until the day that I die or until the day humans merge with AI. Like I'm going to podcast the rest of my days because it's yeah. such a beautiful way to learn, to share what you know, to connect with new people and then to have potentially what you talk about be of help to an, a potentially infinite amount of people. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful way to use social media in a positive way too, yeah. to be able to share it and connect. There's a lot of people that, that abuse it and don't use social media and complain about it. But it's like, man, if you embrace social media for what it is in the right way, an inspiring way, and, you know, share good content and, man, you can make such a difference in people's lives. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy that way. Absolutely. I was just having this conversation with somebody like a week ago. We have no idea who's watching. And like all of us have yeah. like that one person from high school who didn't really like ever talk to us, who was always paying attention and like who was inspired yeah. by us or whatever. And we have no idea who they are. And 
they're following us on social media. And yeah. if you put out authentic, honest shit about you just trying to figure out life, you might help that person. And I just did the first weekend for Aubrey's Fit for Service Mastermind last week. Yeah. And like that wouldn't have been possible without social media, you know? And so like, it's just like money. It's just like power. These are tools that have a gravity to them. And if you're not in alignment, it for sure will warp you. Like, let's not pretend that it won't warp you. But if you're stable and you're sound and you're focused, it is a tool that can just bring more love into the world. Yeah, definitely. I want to touch on fit for service and that. I just want to first go into, you talk a lot about mission, right? And I saw one of your things that you were talking about in your mission and how you want to make a difference in people's lives and through depression and things that have happened in your family involving depression. Can you just kind of tell us yeah. your mission and maybe define what mission is to people? Because sure. you hear purpose, mission, why, maybe the difference between the three, because I think those words get thrown around a lot, but I love how you guys, you and Aubrey are really precise on these things and really elaborate Absolutely. on them. So, I think you can think of your purpose as like a general intent. And so my purpose is to help people manifest their potential. And then your mission is kind of a, uh, what's called a big, hairy, audacious goal, but it's, it's a specific, huge commitment that is underneath the umbrella of your purpose. And my mission is to create the most empirically effective online intervention for treating depression and anxiety. And my why is, so a lot of people's why, they will give you their answer. And then there's this technique called the five whys. And if you ask someone why they're doing something, then you ask, why is that important? And then they give you an answer. And then it's, why is that important? And then you go down five, and then you get the true thing. So the true thing is, I was trying to heal someone in my family as a child, because as a child, I took personal responsibility for them being depressed, but that's not true. And now I'm projecting that childhood coping pattern onto culture. And I'm trying to do what I did with that person in my family to culture. But I'm aware of that. And I know that it's, it will still help people. And I genuinely feel good going for it. But I do understand that my core why has to do with some childhood bullshit that I'm projecting onto culture. I love it. See, it's being able to explain that. I'm going to even go back and listen to that because... I personally, and even when I was working for different companies, people would say, what, you know, the mission statement, what's your mission statement? What's your, and I always got confused as to which, as to which is which, you know, like yeah. what is the right way to structure it? And I really believe in a world full of entrepreneurs and people trying to get their shit together and make a difference. You got to have that clarity, right? Absolutely, man. And it's like, and sometimes it's hard to decipher through all the noise. So, you know, I appreciate you diving into that. So as far as your spiritual growth over all this time, like when you were playing basketball growing up, you know, where were you at spiritually? Yeah. And once that ended and you've evolved into this new Eric Godsey working for Ani, working with some amazing minds, you're surrounded by people that are changing the world. How has that shifted and maybe tie in psychedelics to your spiritual journey sure. as well. For sure, man. All right. So 
I grew up in a family that kind of made me go to church, but only because my mom's mom wanted us to be religious. And I went to church a couple of times. It was like maybe I was five or six or seven. And I came home with a lot of questions. And my mom eventually just tapped out. I was like, you don't have to go. So I've thought about this. So it's kind of a long story. But when I first got exposed to Christianity, I remember I was like seven. And I had this really awful experience where for like, a week, every time I went to bed, I started to think about what heaven was, like the way that it was explained to me. And I remember thinking like, okay, if I do everything right, the best way this can possibly play out is I'm going to go to this place where it's like all white and everyone's happy and you're always feeling love and you have to go to church every day and it lasts forever. And then I would really start to think about what forever meant. And it was such a disturbing idea that it would make me cry. And then I would pray to the God that was condemning me to this fate to help me not think about it. And I did that for like a week. It eventually stopped. It was traumatic, to be frank. And then when I was a teenager, I was a hardcore atheist. I was like, someone talk about God because I was fucking (laughs) just being there saying shit. And in hindsight, I was just someone who was afraid of eternity. Like, I was terrified of the idea that I would live forever. Like, it scared me. And so I was an atheist for a while. So when I played basketball, I had no spirituality. I was not connected to that shit at all. Um, I wanted to have sex and play basketball and eat food. And then (laughs) I started smoking weed when I was 19. And that slowly started to open me up. And then I found the Joe Rogan podcast. And I listened to every episode with Joe and Duncan Trussell. And that led me to, okay, I'm going to do mushrooms. And then I started doing psychedelics. And I got to this point, probably when I was 20, where I did either a heavy dose of mushrooms or LSD or DMT every weekend for 12 weekends. And it just completely changed my perspective on spirituality. I became agnostic. I didn't know what was, but I knew there was something. And around that time is when I really started to read a lot, like an insane person. And then since then, I've done psychedelics every so often. About two years ago, I started microdosing often. And my spirituality now is kind of, I believe that each of us has, we have an understanding in ourselves of the human that we could be, us personally. And I think that human that we could be, like our highest potential, in some sense is already alive inside of us. And I think it's watching us. I think it hears this conversation right now. It knows our thoughts and our feelings and the choices that we make. It knows when we play small. It knows when we do the things that we shouldn't do. It knows when we do the things that we should do. We sacrifice to that thing. We pray to that thing. And I think that that is the thing in us that we articulate as God. And I think everyone has one inside of them. And I'm trying to live a life where I'm in alignment with that thing because then I feel like I live in grace. And that's basically my spirituality. So I'm really intrigued about your podcast, man. Maybe just kind of walk us through, you know, what inspired you to start it and what it's all about. Yeah. So it was actually expired or inspired. It's funny. Probably most of my stories, my entire life, if people ask me what inspired them, it's going to be, oh, I did some psychedelics. But I remember I, I did some mushrooms and I went up to a mountain and I was just walking around in the woods and I just had this idea, like, Like the key to all of this, which is such a I'm high thinking, is just we have to reprogram our stories Mm -hmm. about ourselves and about the world. 
And then I really got into like stories. And the podcast is called The Myths That Make Us. And the point is, I'm trying to cultivate the right set of questions to help people articulate their story. Um, because I'm a huge fan of Jungian psychology, and there's this idea of archetypes. And I think there's only a core set of archetypical stories that humans are able to tell themselves. And we each have our own unique variation of that story. But these stories have been retold by humans to themselves for thousands of years. And they have endings. And a lot of them are tragedies. And most of us are unconscious to the story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves. And the point of the podcast is to kind of give people tools to understand their stories with the intent on if they want to, they can try to change them. Yeah, because what fascinates me, and I love that, is that what makes us decide that we're that story? Like, you know, there's a time where we had to decide, hey, this is me, and I'm going to do all the actions that align with this character. Yeah. And why, like, what was the reason? And why does that, if people want, how do I even explain it? How do people decide they want to be somebody else? Not, I mean, I just mean as like, growth wise or, yeah. or, and then be able to make those changes, you know, yeah, how, so, how could people do that? Because I feel like so many people get wrapped up in this. I'm this because of this, and this is the stuff I do. Yeah. But how could people change that? So this is a huge question. And I, and the truth is that I don't know the answer yet, but here's some hypotheses that I have. So I think the first part of that question is why do we do this? And I think it's how we adapt as children. I think by the time you're three, you have enough cognitive architecture where you start to have an ego and you start to have this sense of I, this is me, these are my memories, these are my things. And you've already had three years of interacting with other people who are projecting roles onto you. Like everyone in your family is projecting a role onto you. And by the time that you're three, you've already pieced together enough to start to have a semblance of like, okay, I am this thing. But then there's some interesting things. First is we imitate. And it's, it's like our basic way of learning is we imitate. But who do we imitate? I think this is where things start to get interesting is I think we all have this internal guidance system that if we gave it the tools to operate properly, it's going to help us get where we want to go in life. When we're young, we start to admire people or characters and we start to embody or we try to imitate the traits and those characters. Like if you watch a child, he or she will find a character, maybe in a Disney movie or a video game, and they will start to act out some of the traits of that character. And that's them trying to learn, trying to build the thing that they want to be. I think at some point, you know, in like early adolescence, we find a game to play and it could be like an actual game, like a sport or like a social game, like I'm this type of person at school or whatever. But we find a game that starts to give us power. That's what we're all looking for on some level. One of the core things every human is looking for is competence or power. Hmm. And once we find that first game that gives us a little bit of power, we just start to play that character. And I think that's when the role or the story that we tell ourselves really starts to like get our, its grips in us. And I think at some point in your early 20s or early 30s or even your 40s or your 50s, 
it's imperative that you wake up to the story that you've been unconsciously in and then start to think about, okay, what are the patterns in my life that I hate, that I don't like, that are destructive to me or the people that I love? Okay, those traits are footprints of my story. And I need to really look at what are the patterns in my life that are reoccurring that I don't like and then articulate or articulate to myself those stories. And then how you change them, I think it comes down to the science of behavior change or habit change. And essentially, what your personality is, is a culmination of habits, either habits of thinking, habits of emotions, or habits of behavior. And I think if you want to change, it comes down to changing your habits. And all habits have three parts. There's a trigger, there's a behavior, and there's a reward. And whatever story you're in is a collection of habit patterns. And then it's just a matter of becoming aware of the ones that you don't like and then slowly trying to change them, which is so much easier said than done. But I think that that's kind of the process. What are some things that you do on a daily basis to kind of get into, into the zone, so to speak? You know, Absolutely. What are some non-negotiables and what are some that you've tried out and you know, what has it helped you effectively become you know, the highest, best version of yourself for the day? For sure. So a non-negotiable for me, unless I'm with a very beautiful woman and it's going very well, is I need eight hours of sleep. And I will leave parties, I will leave dinners, I will get my eight hours of sleep and I plan on getting up at 6.30. And then when I get up at 6.30, if it's a good day, and today was a good day, I do not check any fucking thing on my phone. Mm. I get to work early. Like I get to work like three hours before the workday starts so I can do all my shit. And the first thing I do is I meditate. Well, actually the first thing I do is I journal. I expressive write journal. So I don't think about what I'm writing. I'm just writing. And that's kind of all I like to clear the RAM. And then I meditate. I do Vipassana, you know, so I'm just trying to keep my awareness on my breathing. And every fucking three seconds, my mind wanders off. And then I non-judgmentally bring it back every time. And then I write or I read for two to three hours and then I get into my work day. But like, that's how I get in the zone. If I can get those two to three hours of my writing or my reading for me, I feel like the rest of the day is dope. Those are kind of the core things. Get my eight hours, meditate, journal, write, and read. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I just, I want to touch on one thing there with journaling. I know that it's a complicated thing, but... I know a lot of people, again, talk about journaling, but I really like how you explain it and how you use it. You talk about you do it a lot. So maybe can you just in the simplest terms explain the, for a beginner that's journaling sure. and how they can maybe start and you know, start to make those little differences in their life? Yeah. So there's this thing in cognitive psychology called open loops. And essentially, all of us have about, on average, 150 open loops. And what open loops are, are basically things that at some point in the last week or month or day we've chosen, maybe even for a second, I want to complete this. And it could be some dumbass thing like, I want to know what to say to X person when I get to work tomorrow. And you, you don't actually think that, but some part of your mind chooses that as a goal. Every open loop you have, you can think of it as an open window on the browser of your conscious mind. So our conscious mind is like Chrome browser and every open loop is like a tab. And if you have 150 tabs open, 
your processing power is going to be shit. The type of journaling that I do that I recommend is called expressive writing or stream of consciousness writing. And all you do is you set a timer, 10 minutes, maybe 15. And the point is you don't reread anything. You don't edit anything. You don't think about it. You just fucking start writing. And maybe the writing is, I don't know what to write about. I feel really goofy doing this. I don't think I have anything interesting to say. Just do it for 10 minutes. What the research shows over and over and over again is you can't help but start to close open loops. Like cognitively, the way you close an open loop is you just think about either what the next step would be or what the ending would look like. Like on a cognitive level, kind of the way our conscious mind is trying to process information is if it knows what the next step is or it knows what the end looks like, energetically, you close the browser and everyone that does it, that I've talked to. There's no person, I don't want to make that claim. There might be a couple of people who journal way too much and then don't do anything, but I've never met anyone who's like a type A person who journals this way for 10 minutes a day, who doesn't say, oh my God, my brain just feels clearer. Like I'm just, I just feel lighter. I feel clear. And so I type journal almost every day, but if I get really overwhelmed and this might happen like once a week, I just feel like there's so many things happening in my life where I just, I grab a journal, I grab a pen, I'll write down my mission to myself. And it just, it instantly like hones my mind in like, okay, I have all this shit that I'm worried about, but here's what I'm trying to do in my, in my life. All right. What's important today, you know, and then I'll write for maybe 10 minutes and I feel so much better. And then I just get back to my ever growing to-do list. Yeah. Journaling, man, that's great. Thank you for that insight because there's just so much talk about journaling and sometimes I'm guilty of it too. I feel like there's so much to say, but then I don't write. I don't even start. And it's like, I want to, but yeah. And I think you can, it's one of those things you can kind of beat yourself up for, which is I guess complete opposite of the purpose, you know? Like, Yeah. And like the beautiful thing about if you start to meditate, it's impossible not to journal because everything that you just said, that's five sentences that you can write down on the journal. Like, damn, I actually feel guilty because there's all these things I want to say, but I actually just don't know what to say. And boom, sentence. Like most people who have a hard time writing, they have the judge and the creative part of their mind on at the same time. And you're never going to write shit if you have the judge on at the same time as your first draft. And like kind of the purpose of expressive writing is to just have no fucking judge. Like you will never reread it. Like most people, me included, we're like, man, I'm going to write this really profound journal and people are going to find it in like a hundred years and they're going to think how smart I am. No, no, it's going to be bullshit and then burn it afterwards if you want to. Like yeah. I throw my journals away and like it makes a lot of people upset in my life. They're like, no, don't throw it away. But like, that's not the point. The point is just to like process the bullshit in my mind. And like, I have faith in my mind's ability to, if it's important, I'll remember it and it'll come back when I need it. Love it, so, man. You know. Love it. That's super valuable, man. You're used to talking about this stuff frequently, but like that's super fucking helpful for people, man, because sometimes the simplest things people complicate, you know? Sure. And it's sure. nice to just have that explanation and to be able to kind of understand, you know, why it works and that kind of thing. Where, where can we find you, man? Where's everybody, where's the best place to look for you? Sure. I'm most active on probably Instagram right now. And that's just my name, Eric 
Godsey. And then I also have a website, Eric Godsey, and I have an email list that I send a weekly email out on Fridays. It's just like the dopest shit that I'm paying attention to. And you can just go sign up on there, but basically Instagram and my email list. And your podcast. What's that? What's the oh, name? Yeah. Don't want to forget. Yeah, my, my fucking podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called The Myths That Make Us. Awesome. Oh, uh, man. I'm, make sure you guys check it out. Eric's a super interesting dude. He's got some amazing stories on there, amazing people. And you just started that, right? So you're, man, it's just the beginning. <laughs> I always ask this one question, man. If you could give one tip for people listening to overcome adversity, whatever it is in their life, to go on to experience a better life or become successful, what would that thing be? Whatever your adversity is, you can transform it into medicine for other people if you are willing to honestly share the truth of your experience about the adversity in whatever creative way feels best to you. Awesome. <laughs> I love this question because you get so many, so many crazy answers, man. Like it's, and that amazing, man. And I just, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. A little bit of tech difficulties, but that's okay. That's that's sure. the way it works. We're getting a little, we're getting curveball thrown at us, but it makes it more fun. So I really, really appreciate you coming in and hanging out, man. Thank you for having me on. And what would a podcast on adversity be if we did not face adversity? That's the thing, and everybody does. And it's just a matter of kind of extracting that, right? The the lessons and the, the gold out of there. And it's like, who knows which which episode will change someone's life, right? Yeah. This one alone, hearing that stuff, man, um, that's powerful. And I just can't wait to see, you know, what you keep creating over the next year and, you know, might have to do a round two down the road here. Amen, brother. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much, Eric. Check out Eric Godsey, Instagram. Check out his podcast. He's doing amazing things. Love and appreciate you guys and uh, have an awesome day. Take care. Wow, what an episode. A little bit of tech difficulties, but we got through it. I'm super grateful to have Eric on the episode today. I hope everybody enjoyed that. I love having different sorts of guests, you know, and how adversity isn't always about going through deaths or really crazy stuff. It's, it's about maybe sometimes going through adversity in your mind or in your life in, certain, in different ways, and it's about overcoming it. So I hope you got value from that today. Make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes. That's what matters. It's free. And leave a review. Let us know what you think. I'm going to read the best five-star review of the week on the show. So make sure you do it, make it interesting, and I'll read it out. Appreciate you guys. Have an amazing day, and we'll catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.